Welcome to Ineffable Goodness, a community filled with curiosity beyond the good and the bad. I'm your host, Sarai Hertz-Velasquez. I love to chat about all things self-care, self-love, activism, and intersectional wellness. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the Ineffable Goodness podcast. I am sitting here once again in my uh, recording studio. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sitting in my closet. I need to figure out how to make this more insulated because... Maybe that's not the right word, but some somehow is more sound absorbent. Also, just a little bit of a heads up, the sound quality in this episode is not the best. Long story short, I had a file, it got deleted, and I had to figure out a way to get it back. So it's all there, the content's there, which is all that matters, but the quality is just not as good. So apologies in advance. So before we get started with the episode, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things, which I know I normally do. I just don't preface with the fact that I'm going to talk about them. So a few of my highs of this week, which I think is especially important right now to talk about things that make us happy or things that bring us joy in these in these moments of chaos. So one has been the TV show One Day at a Time. I strongly recommend you all watch this it's on netflix it's so good it's smart and thoughtful and i watch it with my family and it's a really good feel good show let's just count the amount of times i can say good when talking about this show and i have this joke this running joke with my family that everything i watch i always afterwards say oh my god this was the best tv show or movie blah 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 that i've ever watched but this is truly one of the best tv shows i've ever watched and it's always the way that we end our nights so it's also nice weaving that routine into our evenings as a family unit so one day at a time check it out also i for the past three days have been tuning into earth day live which has been also amazing a lot of good virtual content out there webinars classes take advantage of everything that is on the internet without straining your eyes So Earth Day Live was a compilation over three days of various artists and activists and politicians that were connected to environmental justice, environmental awareness in some way. I think generally my virtual vision of Earth Day has been solely present on social media platforms of people posting photos of the earth and just a lot of performative allyship which is something we'll talk a little bit about in this in this episode. I'm sure for those with an Instagram or honestly any social media at all, you can scroll through your feed on Earth Day and 90% of the photos will be little quotes by who knows who about saving the Earth and taking care of the only planet we have, which is great and true. But when those words are just words and they're posted year after year, without any action attached to them or advocacy from that person who's posting them, they lose all of their meaning, at least for me. So Earth Day Live was a reminder of tangible things we can do now as community and as a country and a world in this COVID time. And there's so many virtual opportunities for activism, environmental activism, and it also connected environmental justice to larger discussions of racism and sexism and also was which I thought was really cool is that they contextualize 
the conversation right now in the time of COVID and explained why and how the environment would be affected by COVID and uh, how COVID was affecting the environment. So that was a critical conversation and presentation that I really enjoyed watching. And if you can catch some or all of that, I strongly encourage you to do so. And on that note, I am going to transition now into what you all clicked on this podcast, episode four. So on today's podcast, I welcome teacher and student Kate Hurley. She is the founder of katehurley.com, a place to move, meditate, and feel amazing in your body. So for context, Kate's voice is often the first I hear when I wake up every morning because my mom will plug her into our stereo and uh, in our in our little basement gym and do her workouts, her, her movement meditations. So currently based in Washington, D.C., Kate focuses on, in her own words, offering tools to help people tap into their inner strength and live a more vibrant and resilient life. Kate explores how we can make the wellness space more equitable, looking at her own whiteness through a critical lens, hoping to amplify stories of women of color in wellness spaces that are often erased by dominant white-centric narratives. I also just wanted to acknowledge and address before I chat with Kate that we are both white women delivering this conversation to you all and of course we are coming from a place of immense privilege uh, and I hope that those who are listening are white people (laughs) Um, because it is not the job of people of color to educate us about what we should do and can do and should think so listen and learn and please try to be receptive and then continue to have this conversation. So in part of my audio troubles, I failed to capture the part where Kate thanks me for being on. You know the part. Everybody knows the part. I say hello. She says hello. I thank her. She thanks me. So that part happened. And now we're moving on to the good stuff. So my name is Kate Hurley, and I teach movement and meditation. I've been an athlete my whole life, and I really struggled with anxiety when I was in college running at the Division I level. I kind of thought that my anxiety would just go away when I stopped running, and I made an assumption that any discomfort that I felt physically and emotionally was just tied to running culture and how I was pushing my body in these ways that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been pushing so hard. Um, But what I discovered was that all of this uh, was still here. I stopped running and my anxiety actually got worse. And it kept getting worse throughout my 20s. Even though I was teaching group fitness, I was in the health and wellness space, I was, you know, drinking green smoothies every day. I looked like the picture of health on the outside. Um, But really, inside, I was desperately grasping and trying to make my anxiety disappear. Um, It wasn't until that I started meditating uh, that I learned that the goal is not to just feel blissed out all the time. Really, a more skillful way of looking at it is to learn how to respond to anxiety because anxiety is a wisdom energy. It has something to teach us. And so once I started learning how to work with my anxiety, once I started learning these mindfulness practices, everything that I 
did basically transformed. I changed how I was living. I changed how I approached exercise. Um, I no longer felt completely trapped. And, um, and the freedom that I experienced was so profound. It was so deep that I said to my husband, oh my God, I want to share this. And um, he makes apps. He's a developer. He said, let's do it. So uh, that's really how my how my business came to be. I started working with my teacher, Kimberly Carson, who has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for over 25 years, working really closely with Duke and UNC, putting together uh, protocols for people based off of these mindfulness studies. So uh, Kimberly is just an absolute dream. She has so much knowledge, so much background in ancient wisdom. Her work is rooted in research. And she and I teamed up and every single offering that is on our on the app, it's called the Kate app, uh, combines exercise with meditation. So basically, what we're trying to do is to give people practical tools to be present, to connect deeper with their bodies. You know, we want to, we want to give them feel good movement but also work on their mental strength as well. That's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing. I think for me, what really drew me to you, I think for me as somebody who carries so many intersectional identities, being a Latina and a feminist and a woman and a person who doesn't necessarily look like the person that you see when you scroll through your wellness Instagram feed, I was looking for a space where I could, you know, I was a cross-country runner too, and I wanted to think about ways I can move my body in more, as loaded as this word is, intuitive ways, while also thinking of it uh, as in ways, in, through a social justice lens, in ways I could think about it and, and challenge the space that I was in and the ways that my white passing identity made me able to exist in the wellness space and go to these classes and, and, and perform in the ways that I did. And so I want to first thank you. You showed me how these two things can intersect so beautifully. And I wanted to talk today mostly about ways wellness and whiteness have become synonymous. And we can talk about this in many different capacities, but I would love to know how you use your platform to connect movement to anti-racist work and where you're at with thinking critically about the wellness space that you work in. Well, yeah, that's a big question. First of all, just taking a step back and really focusing on ancient wisdom and, you know, what meditation is all about. Like meditation is available to everyone. You know, um, just being present requires absolutely nothing. Presence doesn't ask us to prove ourselves, to do anything special, you know, to have any certain kind of, it doesn't ask us to have a certain amount of money. Um, so, you know, one of the highest teachings in ancient wisdom is that we aren't just impacted by each other, but we are each other. And so there literally is no separation 
between us. And so, you know, over the past few years, I've been thinking a lot, well, what does that mean then for my everyday life? Because while there's no separation between us, it's very clear that my experiences as a white woman are radically different from my friends who are black or, you know, women of color. Um, So, you know, I guess where the the social justice work is like I don't consider myself an expert in social or racial justice so I have surrounded myself by people who are um Rachel Ricketts is one of my teachers and you know a few years ago I reached out to Rachel as a client and asked her like hey I'm sure that as a white woman like I'm missing a lot of things Um, can you help me? And I thought that I was hiring her, asking her for help for my business. But then I actually realized, oh, no, like I'm, I'm hiring her. I'm, she's helping like me as a, as a, as an individual. Um, and so, you know, I guess just my desire to create, a community where everybody feels welcome is what set off this work. And then once I started to research and read, and once I started to apply the things that I was learning, not in like a way that I was studying anti-racism, but I was like holding, it's like once I started to look in the mirror and say, oh, you know, not intellectualizing these concepts about how white people are racist. But once I started to to do that inner work, oh, how am I racist? How am I unintentionally holding these systems of power up? How am I causing harm? Um, then that became impossible not to see. I'm curious if you started the Move and Meditate knowing that you wanted to talk about this on your social media platforms and dig deeper and and white fragility and your white privilege and unpacking that within yourself. Did you know that when you started the platform or was this something when you said a couple of years ago that you, like what made you all of a sudden want to learn? Well, the 2016 election had a huge impact on me. In September of 2016, that's when I left my job. I was, you know, working in the fitness industry. I had a corporate job. I was working in branding and marketing and teaching group fitness. And I left my job that September, just a few months before the election. So um, the timing of it certainly, uh, certainly mattered. And, you know, I left my job with the intention of, hey, let's, let's include meditation. But really, you know, just seeing the harm too, like being in the fitness space and seeing the harm that it causes to focus on a physical ideal, you know, and then also at the height of my anxiety, I am a white thin woman who fits into the standard definition of beauty. Like at the height of my anxiety, when I had the most lines on my stomach, I looked whatever that means. Like I looked like the picture of health, but I was actually at the unhealthiest place I've ever been in my life, you know? And so it was very clear to me that what you see is not actually what is real. And meditation forces you to see what is real. It forces you to see the truth of what's here. 
So if you're authentically practicing meditation, I'm not saying that it like makes you more moral because I know that there are tons of examples of spiritual teachers who say they meditate every day and they're still, you know, causing harm in all of these ways. But, um, you know, there is an aspect of of facing more of that truth and wanting to share that that arises. And that was my experience. Personally, with all this time, I've been trying to learn how to meditate and be comfortable in my body and just sitting. It's definitely hard. I've also noticed that in the wellness space, when generally, when talking about meditation, there's a tendency to, it's it's a way of, of, of sugarcoating reality, I think, for a lot of people. And, and meditation is a great thing, but almost making it into this thing that's seemingly doable for everybody and in life. I think that there's real consequences that come with living uh, in this country and as a person of color that white people don't experience and ignoring racism in wellness spaces. I think sometimes people do it through spiritual methods and ways. So the language you use, I appreciate. It's just used in a way that is comfortable and applicable and regardless of the state or space that they're in. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you find that that you feel welcome in the community that that means a lot. And, you know, I also have been learning about the different, uh, I don't know, just about different ways that spiritual white women in particular cause harm. And I know that I'm not separate from that. Um, have you ever read Layla Sad's letter to spiritual white women? Yeah, yeah, she definitely has been another person who I've really looked to and and learned from over the years as well. It's hard not to, because I think wellness is often, you can disguise it and say that it's not the space to talk about whiteness and racism at all because it's this holistic thing that's supposed to include the, the human race, right? It's but then, but then by not including, it's an act of intentional exclusion in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's an act of violence, I think. Um, you know, and and it's just, I, I really disagree with that. And I've had conversations with peers and friends and, um, you know, a question that Rachel Ricketts asked me a few years ago. She's like, well, who are you protecting if you're not? If you're staying silent, like, who are you protecting? Are you protecting your comfort? Are you protecting whiteness? You know, and so she's like, look, you, you have, you are going to have to work like eight times harder to make people of color and black people comfortable in this space. And you might never make them comfortable and they might never trust you. And that's okay because of all the harm that they've experienced in the wellness space or the harm they've experienced because of white supremacy. When you began thinking and reading and learning, did you find a need to change? I mean, I'm just thinking specifically Instagram and the people that I follow. There are so many people that I, I'll read their captions or I'll see what they, instead of what they do post, what they don't post and include and I either unfollow them or just think, I try to think critically about things that they're posting into the world. And as somebody with a following and somebody's created their brand in part off of social media, how do you 
navigate those spaces and still stay in the wellness space, which, you know, you are, and also try to make your peers think and listen and uh, how do you exist in a space that's so problematic in so many ways? Well, first of all, I know that I'm going to cause harm in some ways and I'm going to help in other ways and that none of it is about me. Like for me, the brand isn't about like being famous or making a ton of money. Um, It's about sharing the practices that have transformed my life because if I did not start meditating, if I did not start doing this deep inner work, I'd probably still be on a medical leave from from work and have a really hard time getting out of bed every day. So um, for me, it comes from this deep desire of like, oh my gosh, I've experienced all of this freedom and relief. Like I feel like my responsibility and purpose is to make sure that these tools and practices are accessible to other people. So having that more mission focus is my North Star. And then also knowing that um, I'm not going to get it right, you know, like um, there are going to be times when I mess up or times when I can do better. And my job isn't to try to be perfect. It's to just keep showing up in a more authentic way. And, you know, I look at things that I did two years ago that I'm like, huh, I totally wouldn't do that now um and then you know it's just sort of like well if the health and wellness space doesn't address this then who's gonna address it you know because if we aren't actually talking about health and wellness then what's the freaking point um so you know I see my role as not to be a leader in this space, like I don't think my community looks at me and thinks, oh, Kate's an activist or Kate's like an anti-racism teacher. Like I kind of see my role as I am the I, I'm trying to to give other white people a model of what it looks like when a white person does anti-racism work and sort of pivoting but also somewhat related I so for context I've I've talked about this a little bit in the intro that I pre-recorded but I wake up to your voice every morning because (laughs) not in a weird way but my mom plugs you into the speaker oh my god I love that your mom's adorable (laughs) anyway so part of it is is the music you use and I know you talk a little bit about this on your website and the importance and significance of music but how does music fit into this conversation and how do you use music? How do you pick music and think about it critically and weave it into the movement? And what is that purpose like for you? Yeah. So music really drives the energy of class and it's a huge part of the experience. Like when you have that, like a good beat going, you know, you're, it just fuels that it fuels your energy. It makes you feel like, yeah, I can do this even though it's really hard Um, So I love music. My husband, Peter, is a DJ and he actually throws parties here in the U.S. Mostly he throws parties in Portland, um, but he's thrown a couple in New York and, you know, he's done some gigs in Berlin. But it wasn't until two years ago when I actually went 
to see him do this gig in Berlin and he played at a party and, you know, it was like an all day party and a bunch of different, you know, DJs just kept the music going for like 24 hours straight. And I was just sitting there eating pizza, like looking out at a river and across the river, there were pieces of the Berlin Wall. And that was like my my view from straight ahead. And then when I turned my head to the left, I just saw all different kinds of people absolutely raging. And it was my aha moment because I think a part of me has always felt a little judgmental of Peter or judgmental of kind of like rave culture because I just didn't understand it. I just thought, oh, a bunch of people are you know, just staying up all night and partying and, you know, I'm just going to be at home with my tea and go to bed at 10 because I want my body to feel good when I wake up in the morning. Like that just never felt fun to me. But when I was in Berlin at that moment, I'm it, it really, like I really felt it in my body and I understood how the history of dance music and you know the history of of house music and and rap music like it's so much more than music like it is it's a it's something that these that different groups of people um created even though they were completely oppressed you know so um up until that point you know i've known what the history of music is because of because of my husband and the work that he does but it wasn't until i felt in my bones and saw with my own eyes like oh my gosh this is about freedom too yeah i often try to think of music the same way i think of food and you have to understand where it comes from and how oftentimes the way it's created is in response to oppression in some in some capacity And I, so I work at a boutique fitness studio and the music that's played is loud rap. uh, And it's hard and also weird trying to explain to people that it's so important that they think about and talk about understanding where the music you choose to listen to comes from and that everyone else who's in that space, which in this case happens to be 97% white women are listening to every day and understand it's like you know it's a similar with a lot of movement practices like meditation and yoga but I think oftentimes in the wellness space especially it's the roots are forgotten yeah and I'm guilty of that like I've been part of the problem for years um I played music that I would never play now in a group exercise class. And then even, you know, one of the first videos that I filmed, I put a Biggie song in it. And when Rachel Ricketts did the video, she's like, hey, Kate, you know, FYI, like a thin woman doing burpees to Biggie singing about the ghetto is really misguided. Um, So, you know, that had a huge impression on me, and I very carefully pick every single song. And sometimes I still, you know, get it wrong because what I think might be okay, somebody else is still like, okay, you know, you still shouldn't play that. So, 
Um, again, it's I just keep reminding myself that it's not about me. And the more that I stay committed to doing this work and to listening and learning, you know, the less harm that I cause. I love your music, though, and I, I especially love the running music playlist situations. I don't like ever making my own playlist because I always feel like I get the beat wrong. So, uh, yeah, you have some really, really cool music that I've discovered through you. Nice. So I would also love to talk about the movement part of the Move and Meditate and how, if at all, you see physical movement connected to this larger discussion of whiteness and wellness. And I mean, I know you talked about this a bit and um, why you do the movements you do in, in your classes. The movements that I do in my classes pull from my experience as a serious competitive athlete, as a distance runner. Um, it pulls from my training in group fitness and from my yoga teacher training. So, um, but yeah, I do think that it's really important, though, to acknowledge kind of the roots of yoga. So, uh, yoga started as a practice over 5,000 years ago, and it was purely a seated practice. So the asana that we're more familiar with today, like the actual poses, those are much newer. And, um, you know, like I'm pulling, I'm pulling inspiration from, from yoga for sure. Um, so that is something that, you know, I'm always working on honoring and recognizing more because that is the foundation for so much of what the movement is based on. And I think a lot of times people don't see that because they're on a run, you know, or because they're doing something on all fours and their butts on fire. And so um, a lot of Westerners may not see the, the influence of yoga in that. But um, yoga really guides everything because yoga is about presence, you know, it's about learning how to stay present and working with that, that discomfort. So, um, you know, I, I like to give pointers for sure. Like when you're doing the movement portion of class, like the movement is so important. Um, and I definitely give you enough guidance to make sure that you have the confidence to know that you're doing it right, that your alignment is good. But really, it's not about performing anything it's not about like being perfect or like being able to hold plank for 60 seconds or being able to do 10 push-ups like the movement is not based on achievement like the biggest goal of the movement piece is your ability to stay present so um I think that taking away that focus on achieving on getting somewhere other than where you are right now is huge and definitely fits into, you know, anti-racism because I think a lot of white supremacy is like, you know, it's about making us feel shame. Um, it's about making us feel like our bodies need to look a certain way. And so the movement that we do together on the app and on the website is about staying present and appreciating what the body can do right now. For me, it's also a good checkpoint in my mental space if I'm able to meditate and take that extra five, ten minutes that you offer at the end of your classes um, instead of this self 
critical self-thought that's saying that's extra 10 minutes that you should be, you know, doing an extra set of burpees or pause it here, the movement's finished, go for a run, things like that. And I know if I am able to just turn it all off and be present and listen to your meditation, that's sort of how I gauge where I'm at in terms of how I'm feeling about my relationship with my body and the world and, and so much more. Oh, that's beautiful. So I don't even know. I'm going to ask you a question that it's it's fine if you don't know the answer, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot. So I took a class last semester about, it was about prisons in the U.S., um, and we talked a lot about how the first step in any form of resistance is the ability to reimagine a reality different from the one we know and how without reimagination and being able to do that, nothing can change. And I don't know if you think you are the one to uh, offer a, a re-image, I guess. That's probably not a word, but a new image of wellness. But if you could reimagine a wellness as something that's genuine and accessible and affordable and intersectional, what would a piece of that wellness look like to you? Yeah, it does make sense. Well, I think, you know, the very, like, at the heart of what meditation is about, it's it's about freedom. And you start to understand the ways that you have been limiting, limiting yourself, that you've been defining yourself, um, you know, that might be causing harm. You start to notice that, huh, maybe the thoughts and emotions that I'm feeling, like, maybe these aren't personal to me. Um, and you start to learn these skills to work with whatever's arising now. Um, you start to you start to be able to do that more skillfully, right? With a little more ease and grace. And and so I think that just by, you know, I think it starts with you. Um, I think it starts with kind of seeing more of the truth of who you are. Um, but I guess like talking about the broader wellness space, um, I think that there are some really tactical, simple things that we can do. And these are not my unique ideas. They're, you know, ideas that I've heard from other activists that I follow. And, you know, I think a couple of these come from Rachel Ricketts, but like, um, you know, having special pricing for uh, black people and people of color, like waiving, having yoga studios waive fees, waive training fees um, for teachers because we need more teachers who are not white. Um, you know, I think we just, I think it starts like with some pretty tangible things there. And then, you know, when we're, when we're showing images of people, um, making sure that our imagery reflects the world that we live in, right? But then at the same time, making sure that we aren't just throwing in models, you know? Um, I think organizations hiring leaders, um, like fitness franchises, um, you know, yoga alliance, like we need to be making sure that the people leading are are people who who are not white. That's a perfect segue into my next question, which is as two white women, hopefully talking to 
in part other white women who are interested in asking themselves what emotional violence they've perpetuated as white people and existing in the wellness space and in other spaces going forward after this episode ends what what are tangible things that they can do yeah I think the biggest thing is to know that none of this is personal to you you know like I don't say that to to mean that that white people or that I shouldn't take accountability for our actions, we totally should. But if white supremacy is the status quo, if that's the water that we're all swimming in, of course, there are going to be some ways, either on purpose or, you know, subtle ways that we are upholding that, even if we hate it, it would be like, me jumping in the ocean and swimming around for a while and then getting out and telling you, oh, you know, don't worry. I just swam in the ocean, but there's no salt that touched my skin. That's a good that metaphor. For, I haven't thought of it like that. I like that a lot. And I think also this going beyond this sort of performative allyship and thinking that what you've done is enough and, and reframing that and knowing that nothing you can ever do is enough and you have to keep going. And like you were saying, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up, but you've never quote unquote done, done the work, uh, I think is important. Like there's always more that you can do and think about and question and. Yeah. And, and that deep remembering too, that no one is safe unless all of us are safe, you know, and that's what I've learned from my meditation practice. It's like, if if we aren't just impacted by each other, if we are each other, you know, what does that mean for my neighbor who, you know, is suffering in these ways that I'm not? Like, ultimately, white supremacy is coming for me, too. And I also, I'm, I, I personally have been having trouble having discussions with other people in the wellness space. And the moment I bring up the word race, not even racism the conversation immediately switches to something that they're more comfortable with. And so I, I just encourage people to sit with the discomfort. And I don't know, I think it's easier said than done. And I don't know if people will listen, but uh, it's hard to even get people to think about that because they just feel so uncomfortable keeping in mind that this is th- something that you need to do and it's a responsibility I think that's also super super important yeah absolutely I remember when I did Layla Saad's 28 day Instagram challenge the me and white supremacy challenge it was like two summers ago and you know my husband and I had been like looking forward to this vacation and saving up for it and then um ironically you know on Instagram she announces oh I'm gonna do this this 28 day challenge. And so um, I just remember feeling so sick to my stomach, you know, just like sick, couldn't sleep, um, headachey, like so uncomfortable, wanting to jump out of my skin. And, um, you know, that was obviously a tiny, tiny sliver of what somebody else who doesn't like look like me experiences all the time so how crazy it was for me to even feel that discomfort learning about it just really broke my heart and thought oh man 
if I'm just reading about this, if I'm just learning about this, like how awful it must be for somebody else. So that was a big, big wake up call. But Layla normalizes those feelings of discomfort. And she says like, hey, white people, that's a sign of your humanity. Um, And that's actually the process of, you know, dismantling white supremacy within you. And so it's like better to see it and um, be aware of it so that you can then be free of it. And in all of these ancient wisdom practices, like energy, emotions, like all of that, just like the body wants to move, that wants to move too. So once these things are ready to be seen, once they bubble up to the surface, it can be really uncomfortable to see them, you know, but better to better to see them so they can self-liberate. And on on that note of self-liberation and thinking about ways that you and thinking about people too and and um and accounts and people like Rachel Ricketts that you follow and that inspire you and teach you. Who what are your current favorite accounts slash art authors slash artists? Yeah, so Rachel Ricketts has a few online courses. I highly recommend her courses. They're completely transformative they're affordable and they're accessible like available on her website right now so definitely those are huge um yeah it is she's amazing um then i'd say Layla sod's book the me and white supremacy challenge she's turned her 28 day Instagram challenge. That's how it started into a New York Times bestselling book. So that is another huge resource that is completely life changing. Um, You know, just learning too about the history of white feminism. I've taken a few courses uh, through Rachel Cargill. That's been really helpful. Yeah. Um, And I was a history major in college. And so you know, I studied some of this in college, but it's been it's been really meaningful to to look at that more critically and what I learned then. And, you know, I wonder how that would be taught now. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple a couple of people that have really helped me to be a more critical thinker. But, you know, I'm also there's also so much value in paying attention to the activists in your own community, because I think it's really easy, at least for me, to think like, oh, that's not happening right here in my neighborhood, you know. Um, And so for me, um, I've been looking to follow more smaller movements um, and trying to find more local movements as well. I have a few other just quick fun questions for you. Um, I know that you have some guests that are on your classes that come on with you, like Rachel Ricketts, like Allison Wu. Do you have any dream guests? Oh, my gosh. Um, I really love Jessamine Stanley. I would love to have her come and teach a yoga flow. She has some quote about how yoga is about like burping and farting and I like read the quote and felt like I wanted to jump out of my skin and at the same time I was like yes this is yoga too yeah I feel like she gives us all a little more permission to be human so she would be a dream guest 
I have a massive crush on Kate Fagan. I think she is such a badass. She wrote one of my favorite books called What Maddie, What I think it's called What Made Maddie Run. Kate is so into basketball and she has a really cool story. Um, she has, I read her book, I can't remember what it's about, but she has a book about her experience being a gay athlete and her experience, you know, sharing news about her sexuality with her family and her team members. Um, but yeah, I just love her. I look up to her. Um, I don't know. There's so many cool women. Oh, Issa Rae. Whoa. I If she like did app classes, I would die. And then Chloe, I don't know how to say her last name, but Chloe, I think it's like Feynman or Finneman. She's one of the, she's a newer actress on SNL. And she is hilarious. I would just be so down to meet her. Amazing. Okay, so I have a couple more questions. So this podcast is titled Ineffable Goodness. So if you could leave us on a positive note amidst this chaos and uncertainty, what is something in your life, in the world, in your day, in your imagination that is ineffably good or really, really good? Gosh, I don't know if this will bring other people comfort, but... We have been conditioned to believe that we're the ones in control, that maybe if we show up and we try really hard and we do all the right things and we don't make any mistakes, that we're going to get the outcome that we want to get. And that just could not be further from the truth. Like we are not the ones who are in control. And a really helpful pointer and something that I think about every morning when I wake up is to show up try my best and let go of the outcome. And I just, I just can't stop thinking about what if we all chose to show up, try our best. You know, I think we could have a really, really massive global impact if all of us dedicated our lives to being of service in that way. Absolutely. So you can find me at kateherley.com. My name is spelled K-A-I-T. I have an app called Kate. If you search for Kate in the in the app store, you'll find me. I've got a 14-day free trial. And then I'm also on Instagram at K-A-I-T.Hurley. So I'd love to connect with you. Come say hi. I am honored and I love your vision, like seeing how you are making space for this conversation is so encouraging. I'm just re-listening to this episode before I record the outro, as the YouTubers call it, and I'm still learning so much and thinking about everything Kate said in the conversation we had. And I just want you all to know that, well, A, thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed and learned things, but B, that the learning does not stop here and the conversation doesn't stop here. So trying to stretch yourself and thinking about the ways that this exclusion and uh, acts of violence occur and how some ways, in many ways, we are all perpetuating it. And by we, I mean white people, or in this case, we're talking about wellness, so white people in the wellness space. And I think part of that is doing, even when you're doing, I know we're all doing at-home workouts right now, so when you're doing things 
like yoga and and knowing that we've co-opted so many of our wellness practices such as this from people and women of color and it's okay to practice it in certain ways right some are some of them are just very very harmful but uh it's and it's not our practicing the practices that is problematic but it's more so the way we practice and our lack of honoring and acknowledging where the practices come from so taking a moment on your mat to acknowledge thank you for teaching me or giving me this movement so something like that and also making sure that you're very careful of the language you use and uh, trying to dig deeper and understanding your own white fragility and white guilt and you know intentionality is great but it only goes so far and it's not enough um and it's not going to excuse certain things just because the intention was good so i also hope that you challenge those who say otherwise in a way that's productive and not violent or aggressive i will with more tangible things and resources i've linked rachel cargill and rachel ricketts below um, and they have a lot of workshops that are not expensive at all And also, just use Google when you have questions. It's free. It works in quarantine. Uh, And and again, it's not the job of people of color to teach you and tell you how you can be a better person. So use Google. So now with this conversation, go beyond performative allyship and take action. So make space and use your privilege for change and address racism in the wellness industry and beyond and racism within yourself. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. I would love if you could rate and review the podcast. I hope you're all finding ways to cope and manage this chaos. I am sending you all a big virtual hug and I would love your thoughts and feedback. Again, everything is linked in the show notes, uh, but let me know if you have any ideas for future episodes or things you want to hear slash learn about because I'm learning right along with you. Okay, have an okay ish goodish week as good as it can be and i will talk to you soon bye Ooh.